Now, over the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about the DNA of who we are at the Cross Loganville. I've been lead pastor here for six and a half years. And so about two years in, uh, we changed the name from the Oasis to the Cross. Oasis was a bowling alley. Oasis was a strip club. I didn't want that. Uh, I wanted something that really was uh, powerful of who we are. 1 Corinthians 1.18, the word of the cross to those perishing is foolish, but to those being saved is God's power unto salvation. Galatians 6.14, Paul says, uh, if I'm going to brag about anything, it's going to be about the cross of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so we are the cross. We're not ashamed of the cross. We believe the cross is the most weightiest symbol in humanity. Now, as we think about who we are as a church, I want you to get this. We believe the church here at the Cross Loganville, the ecclesia, we believe the church in doing ministry is messy. We're not building a monument. We're not out there shining something on the outside. We believe that true church ministry is going to be messy at times. And so uh, as we deal with that, there's people from all different walks of life with a variety of stories that come in here week after week, and it gets messy. That being said, we believe the church is more like a hospital than it is a five-star hotel. It's, it's more of a hospital. And so we believe the church is a place where sick people can come and experience hope and healing. That's what we're building here at the Cross Loganville. We believe that every story matters. We wear these little uh, bracelets. We have them for you to wear. Our t-shirts, you'll see on the back of the shirt, your story matters. Your story matters. And we believe that when you come in here, this is a place where hope and healing can be experienced. Some people walk in here and they're in ICU. They're in critical care. And they walk in here on a Sunday morning and they're starving for life support. They, they don't know if they can make it. And they're like, does anybody care? This is a place where you can repent and be restored. Some people walk in here and they're in urgent care. They're battling major issues. Marriage is hanging on by a thread. They're suffering the pains of a prodigal in their life. And things are falling apart. And they're like, man, I, I, I'm urgent today, man. I need hope. I need healing. That's who the Cross Loganville is. Some people are in the trauma unit. You walk in here and you've been burned, and you've been burned deeply, third-degree burns, whether it be by church, whether it be by uh, family members, whether it be by a co-worker, and you walk in here and you go, man, I, I, I'm just burned. Some of us walk in here and we feel like we're in the psych ward, right? Emotionally, uh, we're fried mentally. We can't hold our thoughts together, and we're going, man, something's not right. Some people walk in here and it's like, man, I just need primary care. Uh, you know, whatever's going on in your life, it's not urgent and it's not extreme ICU, but you go, I'm hurting. And I, I just need hope. And I believe each and every one of us, daily when we wake up, the one thing we're starving for is to realize hope is available. Is there hope? Is there healing? Is there a chance that I can grow? So we believe that the church is messy. And if you're looking around for perfect people, don't look for anybody that stands on this platform. You'll miss it. There was only one, and he conquered death, hell, and the grave. We believe on our best days, even when we're walking in righteousness and holiness, we're still subject to mess something up. Come on, somebody. Okay, so we're a non-denominational church. What does that mean? It means that we have no direct affiliation with any denominational umbrella out there. Now, some people think that means that we have no doctrine. No, we have doctrine. Some people 
think it means, well, that you, you guys are not disciplined. No, we're very disciplined people here. Non-denomination for us means that we're not directly affiliated with Baptist, Methodist, Wesleyan, Church of Christ, Pentecostal, Pentecostal or Assembly of God. All right. Now, what that, what that means is, what that means is we're not affiliated and we don't get money from any of these parent groups out there. The word denomination, even in the English, it, it, it comes from two words. It comes from the word D and the word nominate. D is a prefix, which means to shrink and reduce. Nominate means to be selected and chosen. So the word denomination, even in the English, is to shrink and reduce that which God has selected and chosen. It's a violation of John 17, where Jesus prays, Father, I pray that they would be one as you and I are one. So denomination, I'm not anti it, but I'm just telling you who we are. The Latin word for denomination is the word denonymous, which means to divide the nation. So, so years ago, when we began to pray through if God was going to lead us into a local church, we wanted to really strategically pray through what that would look like for us. I had done sports ministry for 20 plus years. And in that Bible study that I did in the back of a barbecue joint in training and mentoring many uh, celebrity kind of guys and entertainers and Christian singers or whatever, you would have guys coming in there from Wesleyan background and Baptist background and Church of Christ background, and we centered up on the centrality of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's where we landed. Now, you can look at our doctrinal statement. I'll make it available to you. Leadership, doc, uh, leadership doctrinal statement is about seven pages long, and it lays out who we are and what we fundamentally believe. So the Cross Loganville is a non-denominational church. We're a Bible-based community of intimate followers of Jesus seeking to reach Loganville and beyond to carry out the Great Commission empowered by the Holy Spirit. Cover it there, Nick? Do okay? Okay. So... You'll see us and you'll see certain things that we talk about here where we want to reach, teach, train, and send. What do you mean by that? We want to reach people that are lost. Now, we believe, I use an acrostic called ABCDE. Don't, don't, don't miss this, ABCDE. I started this about 15 years ago when I was in a sports ministry with unlimited potential, and I would encourage the guys is they would meet with certain players, they would file a report, and they would come back to me, and they said, this guy I just met with is an A. A to us, defined meant this person is apathetic toward the things of God. I'm like, okay, but I had some rapport, but at least there's an open door to communicate. But he's an A, he's apathetic, don't want anything to do with it. B, they're, they're becoming interested, they're asking questions, and they appear to be open to at least dialogue. So I, I want to have Bs in my life that are becoming interested. Then you would have Cs. A C is a person who confesses Christ, but they're very, very infant in their, uh, in their walk. So when you look at a C cruise, it would be like, hey, man, about, about four months old into the faith, got baptized here, but I'm a C. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a C. C is a good, good place to be, bad place to stay, but we, we, I would use that. And then I would say, this person is a D. They're developing as a disciple. They're starting to get, uh, to get into the word. They're developing spiritual disciplines. Man, this person is becoming a D. And then we would meet certain guys at times, and as we mentored and hung with them, we'd go, that person is an E. They're able to equip other people. So when we think about who we are as a church, we want to reach A's and B's. We want to teach the C's. 
We want to move the seeds toward training so that they become disciples. And we want to see them become E so that they're able to equip other people. And then we want to send you out. We believe the church should leave the building. We don't, we don't believe this is a holy huddle that God has called us just to hang out in. We believe that if you've experienced the supernatural awakening of the Holy Spirit, it's time to get your butt out the seat, out the door, and start being salt and light in the community. Right? Who are y'all? I'm just laying it out. This is who we are. So over the next four weeks, I want to focus on four words that kind of uh, matter to us. Now, we value transformation and spiritual growth. We, we value transformation and spiritual growth. Now, over the next weeks, I'm going to talk about being converted, being committed, being connected, and then becoming, uh, becoming a contributing member of the body of Christ. Convert, commit, connect, and contribute. Today we're going to talk about convert. What is conversion? The word convert in its simplest uh, definition means to change. You've got a bulletin. There's pins in the seat back. This is a educational time for you, yet transformational time. Convert means to change. So to convert is to change from one purpose to another. So when we eat that grilled chicken and broccoli, we're Believing it's going to convert to energy. Now, I'm not sure what Twinkies and Little Debbies do for you, but when you sit down and eat that grilled chicken and broccoli, you're going, this is fuel that's going to convert to energy. I'll never forget when I went to the Dominican Republic for the first time, and I took out my American dollar, hanging out with a missionary, and he says, you need to convert that money over to pesos. So, So conversion, it's to change from one purpose to another. And we change physically. We can change emotionally, we can change spiritually, we can change psychologically. There's a lot of things when it comes to transformation and change that God wants to bring about in our life. The Hebrew word for change, don't miss this, it means to turn back or to restore. Uh, That's being converted. So David cries out in Psalm 23.3, he goes, he restores my soul. He converts my soul. Soul. So in the purest definition, the word convert means to return to what we were initially created to be. You got it? God wants to convert us. He wants to bring about this transformation in our lives. He wants us to return to what we were initially meant to be. I'll unpackage that. If you go back and study the Genesis account, in Genesis chapter 2, Two, you see God really making man in his own image. Out of the dust of the ground, God fashioned him together, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Listen, God made man triune. Man is spirit, soul, and body. Some would say we're body, soul, and spirit. No, the most unique thing about each and every one of us is our spirit. What makes man alive was the breath of God that God breathed into the nostrils of man. That's what makes us unique. And so when God makes us, he makes us triune. I will make man in my 
image. God is three in one, triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God makes man and creates man in his image. Now, that, that, that's a word play for the sake of conversation, but God uh, makes us. He took the material of dirt and made us. He also created us, which means he spoke into existence that which was not in existence in regards to our spirit and our soul. So God really did make us and create us. He spoke spirit life into us that didn't exist. So we're created and we're made. Genesis 2.16, linchpin of theology, God places man in the garden and says, you're free to eat off of any tree in the garden, but if you eat off the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. You are free to eat. God extends freedom. God did not create robots. Thus, that's where you'll see some in their theology build off of this point to say man was given free will. He was. God says, you're free to eat, but if you eat off the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Now, the first man, Adam, was placed in the garden, and he had intimate fellowship and communion and relationship with his God. There was no hindrances. There were no obstacles. There was nothing separating man from God. And God would even use the phrase, it was good. Everything was good. So when God makes man, and we're going to build this point of why conversion is so important, but when God made man, God revealed in man the holiness of God, the love and patience of God, the wisdom of God, the forgiveness of God, the grace of God, that first man, Adam, that was placed on this planet through his intellect and free will, was to reflect and display to the world the glory and character of God. He was here to reign. He was here to rule. But God had placed his image stamp on that first man and said, reflect my glory. Reflect my character. Show the world who your God is. Then things get twisted in Genesis 3. The serpent comes in and starts to deceive. I'll pick it up in verse 7 or verse 6 of Genesis 3. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food. You're free to eat off of anything. Stay away from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate and she also gave to her husband who was with her. And he ate. Let me, let me say this before we go any further. I've heard old guys years ago talking about if the woman hadn't jacked it up, we wouldn't be in the condition we're in. God had given Adam a specific assignment. Adam blew his assignment. Adam should have cut in and saved his wife. The problem is, as far back as you can see, the passive tendency of male not standing up has cost humanity greatly. This wasn't an isolated, independent move that Eve made. He was right there with her. He should have stood up. Don't you cut in on my wife. Don't you mess with her. God's already told us not to do that. He told me not to do it. But he's silent. And Larry Crabb has written a book called The Silence of Adam, which is a phenomenal read. I would encourage you to read that. 
She took, she ate, gave to her husband. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loin covering. All right, man willfully rebelled against God. Adam willfully rebelled against God. Adam and Eve willfully, willfully rejected God. When Adam sinned, Adam lost the glory of God that God had intended for mankind. This is crucial. Adam lost the glory of God. Adam forfeited this intimacy and communion with God. Genesis 2, freedom extended. Genesis 3, freedom forfeited. Freedom violated. When you read the scripture, it says their eyes were open and they both knew that they were naked. They knew that they were exposed. Now, the word naked today, don't miss this. It means I feel odd. I feel alienated. I feel contaminated. I, I feel disturbed in my soul. So, so the word today, when people talk about, man, I just feel naked. I just feel exposed. We conclude this, Chad. We conclude there is something wrong with me. Because of the Adamic nature and the bloodline that we came from through the seed of Adam, we all inherited this sinful nature. We're all born into the world sinners, sinful at the core of who we are. And reality is, something's wrong with me. I'm not right. No, no we're not. And so sin disrupts humanity at every level. This leads to man's first attempt to manage sin. Man has been trying to manage sin ever since the garden after they jacked it up and blew it. They sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loin coverings. That's what they did. We're going we're gonna to handle our sin on our own. They concluded we can solve our problem. There, there's this problem now of exposure, of embarrassment, of nakedness, of shame. But we can handle it. I can take care of my own sin issues. And they tried by grabbing the fig leaf. But verse 8 says, they hear God and they hide. We've jacked it up. We, we did what we were not supposed to do. We, we've rebelled and sinned against God. They hide when they hear God. The fact that they are hiding suggests that what they're doing is not working. Don't, 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 don't miss this. When people sin and jack it up and blow it, one of the first kind of moves that will often be made is to hide it, to cover it, to bolt, to run. And when you do that, it screams that your strategy is not working. I'll sedate, I'll medicate, I'll do a variety of things to deal with this issue. And it screams, it's not working. And I see people do that. They, they, they suppress, they live in denial, they lie about their reality, and they don't want to face the music. It jacks everything up. So Adam lost the authority that God had given him over the earth. I want you to reign and rule. Now something inside of Adam dies. He becomes spiritually dead. Ephesians 2, we'll talk about that. 
But here's what happens. We're born into the world lost. And lost people need to be found. We live in a culture where people want to talk about good and bad. How good do I have to be? What's too bad? But the real premise argument is about lost people becoming found. Jesus told Zacchaeus, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. He didn't say, I came to seek and to save that which was bad to make them good, that which was decent to make them okay. He goes, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. Who's a candidate to be found? The person who realizes he's lost. Now, I believe all of us are born into the world lost. Now, here's something I wrote like 10 years ago. And I was thinking about this as we were developing the series. Once upon a time, or when the story really begins, unity, harmony, and intimacy live without interruption. Beauty, extravagance, freshness, life was beyond good. The giver of life breathed one day, and the normals were born. Unity and harmony and and intimacy continued with perfection. The normals thought they were missing something. Being normal mm, wasn't good enough. They were told that the giver of life was not truly good. They heard that supernormal was possible. So they reached for who they weren't, and they lost who they were. And the normals became abnormal from that day on. Unity gave way to chaos and harmony was lost to deceit and intimacy or being known was stolen and covered by shame. The abnormals dreamed and longed to be normal again. They tried and tried and even to this day they tried to get their name back but it didn't and it seemed that it wouldn't ever happen. The giver of life had a plan. He had the plan. I will become, he said, I will offer my uniqueness. The abnormals are disconnected, and without me providing, they will remain distant, dark, and disturbed. The giver of life became. He made a way. He became the way. He made a possible connection for abnormal to become normal. He sent special to do his work. Special was giver's heart. Special is life. Special gives life. Special is so special. And when I realize who special is and what special offers, I refuse to stay abnormal any longer. Special offers restoration, unity, harmony, intimacy, beauty, extravagance, freshness. Lost people must be found. Conversion is when a lost person comes to their senses and realizes they're separated, alienated, distant from God. And when you reach that place of saying, I refuse to stay there any longer. I refuse to stay lost. I refuse to stay buried in chaos and shame and guilt and turmoil. Only then do we have the opportunity and possibility of violently repenting of our sin and placing our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the anchor of our soul. Lost has tried to fill the the void with many less wild lovers, the longing for love, acceptance, worth, security and significance. Man has traveled many roads and 
Man has done many jacked up things, but lost desperately needs to be found. And I am so thankful as I look back. I am so thankful that some 32 years ago that Jesus rescued this lost boy. I'll never get over the rescue. I'll never get over the deliverance. I'll never get over the salvation that the king offered because he came to set the captive free that was lost. Now, think about it. From the time that man sinned, from the time that man jacked it up in the garden, from the time that man willfully rebelled against God, all of history began to point to this little hill outside of Jerusalem where God had appointed a Savior once and for all to become the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. So from the sin of the Garden of Eden, for 4,000 years, history was looking to a place called Mount Calvary to a place, Golgotha, a place of the skull. And the ultimate demonstration of love is when Jesus willfully, under the assignment of the Father, walked the Via Della Rosa and became the sacrificial lamb that would take away the sin of the world. For the Jews, they looked forward When is that day going to come? Isaiah 53 says, as a lamb led before the shears, he he walked and opened not his mouth. Now some 2,000 years later, we look back saying, that event changed human history. That was the ultimate declaration of love. Yes. When we reached for who we weren't and we lost who we were, God was still the lion that was roaring, chasing our hearts, desiring to reconcile us back by offering the ultimate sacrifice so that we could be converted, so that we could be brought back to the initial place of what he desired for us. The image was stamped in the garden on humanity. The image of God revealed. Through sin, it was removed. Through Jesus, it was reintroduced. And through repentance and salvation, it can be restored. We all must be converted. I'm not talking about praying a prayer, walking an aisle, getting in a tank of water. I'm talking about violently repenting of sin and saying, Jesus, your Savior, your Lord, your Master, your authority, You're everything. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5 says, When the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. When the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he did not save us based on what we could do. He extended mercy. Mercy means compassion to those who are wallowing in misery. I'm extending mercy. That's the reason he would say in Ephesians 2, for by grace, unmerited favor, you can't do anything to earn it. For by grace, you've been saved. 
through faith. And it's not of yourselves. It's a free gift of God. It's not a result of works. No one can boast about it. It's God's love saying, I want to convert you. And I believe that every person I meet in every conversation that I have, I believe God wants to see that person's life redeemed. I'll change the names for the sake of the story. But 21 years ago, I was speaking in California at a conference. I was speaking at a conference and I was talking about intimacy with God and what it meant to really know God and trust God and seek God. When I finished the session that night, Bobby came to me and Bobby said, whatever you've got, I've got to have. I said, who are you? He said, I came here. I'm a minor league baseball player. They paid for us to come here. It was a free trip, but I came here just to get away and do something. But whatever it is you've got, I've got to have it. And so that night, Bobby and I prayed and Bobby prayed to surrender his life to Christ. Bobby and his wife became close friends with Barb and I. I asked Bobby before I left, I said, where do you live? And he said, Georgia. And I said, so do I. I said, where do you live? And he said, Duluth. And I said, I'm in Decula. Do you want to be discipled? Do you want to grow? And he said, absolutely. And for 21 years, I can tell you, my friend Bobby has devoured the word of God. Marriage began to flourish, started having kids. We know their journey. So I get a phone call from my buddy Bobby. July 26. It was a Wednesday evening. We were sitting back, and I said, I hadn't heard from him in a while. He's like, hey, give me a call as soon as you can. I call him. He goes, I need to talk to you. I said, okay, what's up? He goes, you know, from the time God radically transformed my life 21 years ago, he said, I've been praying for my dad. I said, I know you have. He said, my dad asked me a while ago if you would be willing to talk to him. I said, why? He said, here's the deal. He said, my dad is a lawyer in Mississippi. He said, last night, my dad, 75-year-old man, my dad was arrested for soliciting prostitution, also for striking a uniformed officer. I said, really? He goes, that's not the first time he's been arrested, but because of what he does, some of the cops got him off the first time. He couldn't get off of this one. He said he spent 23 hours in jail. He said, I've been praying for 21 years, whatever it takes for God to get my dad's heart. He said, this might be it. I said, I'm not going to call him. If he wants to talk, he can call me. And he did. And we talked that night for about 40 minutes on the phone. Talked to Bob, his dad. As we were into this conversation, he made this statement. He said, is it too late for me to change? I said, I don't know. That's between you and God. Do you really want to change? Do you really want to get well? Are you willing to deal with the deeper pains in your story? He goes, I've got to change. I've got to change. I said, what does change look like for you right now? He said, if you would be willing to meet with me, I've got to work tomorrow. But Friday morning, I'll get in my truck first thing and I'll drive to meet you. And he did. 75-year-old dude. Eight hours on the road, I meet him here at 4 o'clock that Friday. We sat down in my office. We began to talk, and I lay out the narrative of the gospel with him, that he has rebelled against God. He has sinned against God, and we laid out the gospel. 
And I said, do you really want to get well or are you just embarrassed that you got caught, Bob? And he goes, I've got to get well. Do you think God would take me? I said, I know God loves you unconditionally. God loved you as much the night you got busted for soliciting prostitution as he did the day you were born. God's love is not based on your behavior. It's based on his character. Are you willing to repent? And he says, I am. And that man began to cry out in my office. I'm not going to lead you in a prayer. It's your confession. It's your story. But he began... He began to confess to God, adulterer, fornicator, I've blown up my family, I've messed up my world. For 75 years, I've used GD, I drop the F word all the time. God, if you would forgive me and if you would be willing to save me. And then he said this, I'll donate the rest of my life to do whatever you want me to do. Never heard anybody use the word donate, but I dug it. Is it too late? Some people use that as an excuse. It's too late. It's not. It's never too late to be converted. But if God really assassinates my heart and grabs my soul and becomes the master of my spirit, I will become proactive in the way I do life. If I reach that point of belief, Nick, which means I am now persuaded to take action, my faith will be lived out by influencing and affecting the worlds in which I live. Here's the question today. Have you experienced the supernatural awakening of a conversion to return back to what God has in store for you, are you walking in intimate communion with God? Have you truly been born again? That was Nicodemus's dilemma. There's people that come in here week after week, they jump through some hoops, they play the 80-minute Sunday morning game, and there's no transformation whatsoever in your life. Do you desire conversion? Do you desire to repent and place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Master? If you've been posing, that's between you and God. But I believe today that God is desiring to set the captive free. Thank you for joining us for the teaching here at the Cross Loganville. Let me encourage you to access our website, thecrossloganville.org. Tons of information. Uh, We'll answer many of your questions. Contact us via email, info at thecrossloganville.org, or you can call us at 770-554-3322. God bless you. Make it a great day.